Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I spoke with Tanya Jenka from She Hacks Purple. I absolutely love this chat with Tanya and her honest approach to how she views the industry and her experience with the application security space. Tanya talks about her approach to AppSec and her thoughts on integrating this with CI/CD pipelines. If you're keen to see how Tanya can help your organization, then please keep on listening. So, Tanya, I know that I've been following you personally on LinkedIn, so I love your posts, and I know that you've had a pretty cool background in, I know you worked at companies like Microsoft, and I know that you've done a lot of public speaking, and I think that your knowledge that you share actually makes sense to people on all different levels. So I wanted to bring you on the podcast today because this podcast is obviously dedicated towards executives, and I think bringing forward your knowledge in the industry around application security would really get people to understand probably at a deeper level on what's actually going on. So before we dive into your expertise, let's sort of start with your career. So let's talk about you and your journey. So where did you sort of start and how did you get to where you are now? I started programming as a teenager. All my aunts and almost all of my uncles are computer scientists. (laughs) My mom's a mathematician chemist, and then my dad's a technologist, like um, mechanic. So when I announced I want to go into (laughs) computer science. The entire family said, yeah, we know. (laughs) (laughs) So I started programming, I think at 16. And then by 18, I was working at a tech company. And by 19, I was in computer science in college. By 23, I started my own startup company. At 20 years old, I started working at a startup company. So yeah, I've just always really liked that. And I was like mid, late 90s. Um, So I did software development a really long time. And then I met a hacker and we became friends. And I'd been a software developer, I guess at that point, maybe 17 years. And management kept trying to push me and make me be a manager constantly, constantly. And it was really annoying. And so I actually like left some jobs because they would promise me a technical position, but then tell me, oh, you have like such good soft skills and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I know, but being a manager makes me really unhappy. And I've heard that this happens actually to senior women techs a lot. I didn't know this before, but just each place kept trying to make me be a manager and I didn't know where it was coming from. And so he said, if you want to stay technical, but you want to make more money, you should become a program or become a, become a penetration tester like him. And he spent a year and a half convincing me. And so I became a penetration tester. And then I discovered that instead of being a pen tester, you could actually work in application security, which it turns out is my love. Mm-hmm. Um, so pen testing is sort of like under the umbrella of many different things that make up application security. Uh, and then I, I started doing public speaking. My next professional mentor announced that I would speak at B-Sides that year. Mm-hmm. I didn't apply. <laughs> he just decided that was happening. And I've always been a professional musician performing, releasing albums and music videos independently. And he said, it's the same. Just go show them the cool hacker stuff, you know. And so I did that. I did not die like I thought I might. <laughs> and then I started speaking at more places. And then I started an open source project with my friend, Nicole Becker, called DevSlop. And then we started teaching people about, you know, defending and hacking. And then I eventually Microsoft approached me and said, hey, would you like it if all of that stuff you keep doing for free was your job? 
yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then I traveled around the world and did cool stuff for them for two years. And then more recently, I quit to start. So I quit originally to start a company where I made a security product with a friend. But it turns out finding a co-founder is a bit like getting married. And so you can think someone is your perfect match, but then you move in together or in this case, start a company together. And it turns out that you're not the perfect match you thought you were. So uh, we decided to part ways like peacefully and amicably. Um, and so now I've started my own company again, just recently called shehexpurple.dev. And mm-hmm. essentially I am... Um, coaching companies to help them start their AppSec programs and releasing content to help people learn about cloud security, application security, DevSecOps. And I'm working on a whole bunch of courses, which I eventually want to turn into a full online program where this is like my pie in the sky dream, but I'm hoping... I'm hoping to create a program where I can create new AppSec engineers. I know engineer, the ring, blah, 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 but like AppSec specialists or professionals or whatever you want to call them and then get them job placements and get them running around the world and securing our software. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this is my very, very, very ambitious goal. Yeah. (laughs) I think being ambitious is really, it's a good thing. And I don't think probably enough people in this space are ambitious because I think they feel afraid by what other people will say about them online. And so we try to always encourage everyone that's out there. if They've got a really good idea that they should bring it into our industry because that's what we really need. And I think there's so many naysayers out there. And I think we need people like yourself that want to do things differently and want to innovate the industry and actually want to genuinely do good. So I'm behind you on that front, but talk to me a little bit more. So when you said you got approached by Microsoft, did they sort of just sort of see you online saying, wow, like this tenure chick, like she's public speaking, she's doing really cool stuff. Did they create a role for you or had it, what did that sort of look like? My ex-business partner, so we've been friends for years, he interviewed for the role on their cloud advocacy team. Mm -hmm. And apparently he stopped them partway through and said, oh, wait, you don't want me. You want Tanya Jenka. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then uh, they just they looked me up and decided they did want me. Uh, But I was like, no, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was working uh, for the Canadian government and I have... Uh, perform public service for Canada for 13.5 years. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really planning to leave. And so then my ex-business partner spent the next week calling me over and over and over again, convincing me to agree to take the interview with Microsoft. Uh, and then Microsoft like courted me and they brought me down to Seattle. And then they introduced me to all these really cool, amazing, famous women <laughs> who asked me to join the team. And then I was like, okay, you win. I'm in. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's awesome. And so I I know Microsoft and a few other of these bigger bigger companies are doing a lot of advocacy. In your experience, do you think that that's beneficial? And the reason why I ask this is, uh, I guess at KBR, we try to encourage people that they should be advocating for their company and they should be the face of of that company, so to speak. So have you seen sort of um, people taking more to that because you are out there and you're speaking on a topic that you, you love, breed, and you actually know a lot about? Do you think that that sort of works for people? I think that most companies are really afraid of allowing their employees to speak on their behalf. And I think that the position at Microsoft was really um, like unusual in that they just trusted me to represent mm-hmm. their company. And I hadn't even worked there that long. And I was just allowed to present on whatever I wanted, make my own content. I didn't have to get approved by anyone. When I worked at the Canadian government, I was not allowed to publicly present. So I had to say I worked nowhere um, mm-hmm. because they wouldn't want it to look like I was representing the government's 
interest, which is true. I was not. I, I was representing myself. I was not presenting anything that I'd created at work because it would have broken my contract with them. And so they said, if it says that you're from us, it looks like you're speaking on behalf of us. And I agree with them. It looks like that. And so most people that I know get a really, really hard time from their company. If they want to speak somewhere, they have to ask permission, jump through hundreds of hoops. Um, at one government department I worked at, they actually filed a complaint against me for conflict of interest for speaking at a oh. conference. Yeah. And I quit. I was like, okay, I'll take one of the 500 other jobs in the government because they can't hire security people that are qualified, like kiss my butt. And they're just yeah. like, where are you going? I'm like, you filed a conflict of interest complaint against me after I informed you that I was speaking about like totally unrelated topics. And they're just like, well, you're not allowed going. I'm like, okay, well, I don't work here anymore. And they're like, wait, no, that's not how that was supposed to go. <laughs> Wow. I mean, that does happen. Another friend of mine, I think he spoke at DEF CON a few years ago and like uh, he got fired basically just after he got off stage, Um, had been in the company for a while. I think there was two of them that got fired and apparently he created this big uproar online and it was crazy. And I I think that I understand from a government perspective why they would be a little bit more apprehensive about it. I get it. But Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're operating in the private sector, why do you think companies are so scared about people speaking publicly? Do you think they don't trust them? I think that they don't want to get sued. And as someone that now owns her own company, I really hope I am never sued. <laughs> so um, I, I get it from that point, especially if um, an employee is going to say something that might be construed as negative about another company. So for instance, uh, at my company, I never say bad things about other companies. Um, generally, like I might say, I don't enjoy using this product, but I would never, for instance, release a vulnerability in a product. Uh, unless I'd already followed the proper disclosure things, mm-hmm. but lots of people at conferences don't don't follow industry standards on those things. Mm-hmm. I would never say um, I don't know how to explain. Like for instance, like when I worked at Microsoft, they make Azure, and Azure is this awesome, cool cloud platform. But I wouldn't go around trashing the other cloud platforms. No, you don't need to do that anyway. I think it actually yeah. cheapens your personal brand if you're going around doing that anyway. I think just sort of stay in your own lane. You can sort of give generalized viewpoints, but being specific yeah. about a company, I think, is unfair. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so if people aren't trained on that and then they go make a presentation, they might say, well, you know, because our because I've I've seen people at security conferences where they trash their competitors for Mm, sure. That's terrible. And I've seen it where they go on stage and they do a full sales presentation, even though Mm, obviously you're not supposed to do that. That's awful. That's really frustrating. I'm getting people saying like, KB, change it. I'm so sick of going to conferences because so-and-so is selling up there. And you you don't need to do that. You got to deliver on value. Mm -hmm. I've also seen it where uh, people give away information from work that I suspect they were not supposed to be revealing where I think, oh, wow. How Mm -hmm. did you get permission to say that. Right. Okay. So I think it would probably be, I mean, I guess that from a, from a company's perspective and obviously I run my own company, I run my own company. So I understand, I think it's just having that trust there. Like there's certain parameters Like you shouldn't trash another company. You shouldn't do it in general because that's slander and defamation. You shouldn't do it. And yes, you can then be liable for that. I think also uh, talking about things that are confidential to a company that you shouldn't actually be talking about as well. So I think there's, there's those guidelines, but I think if you do it in the right way, it's incredibly beneficial to a company like Microsoft. Yeah, a hundred percent. 
Definitely. Um, I think that content-based marketing, so basically the idea that, so rather than saying, oh, here are all these cool features, I'm like, let me teach you how to build a cool thing with it. Mm -hmm. And here's my code in case you want to copy it and adopt it. And oh, here's how to secure this thing. You know, I've had a lot of customers write in and ask about this. Why don't I just write a blog article showing you all how, so no one has to bother to call in anymore. The instructions are right there, right? And so providing value repeatedly and just trying to help over and over you know, if, if every single person that buys, you know, whatever cloud has really good security experiences in that cloud and always finds, you know, proof of concepts or documentation or has their question answered easily, to me, that's that's fantastic marketing. It's like, oh, it's a pleasure to use. I have not had any security incidents or, or whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm, absolutely. I feel like if companies could give, so when I worked at Microsoft, they gave me training. Awesome. Lots of cool things. They taught me so much and I'm very, very grateful. And if other companies gave their, if they said to them, like, listen, you can go and speak, but you have to complete this public relations training. I think that would be super fair. Right. Mm. Like, and it just reminds them. So like, don't break your NDA. These are the types of things that are included under your non-disclosure. Um, these are the types of things that are confidential. You know, we need you to promise that you won't trash our competitors, et cetera. And like, it mm-hmm. could be an hour long and it could be a computer-based training or something. Right. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be like at, at Microsoft. They, they're very gracious uh, and gave me like lots of support. And there's all these people I could ask for help, et cetera. I know that every company isn't basically like the biggest software company on the planet. Um, And so they don't have the same resources, right? And Mm. I totally get it, but it could definitely be like this, 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 this. If you are cool with all of this, we're cool with you presenting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. No, I think that's, that's so valid. And I think to me that just naturally comes just naturally, I guess, but I guess it's not natural for a lot of these people and it's not natural for super technical people, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just not it's not at the forefront of their mind. So I think that's a really good way of looking at it. So Tanya, I'd really like to jump in now to your experience in the world of AppSec. So uh, I worked in a large company, a fi- uh, financial institution. I uh, was sitting around the where the AppSec guys were, and I actually learned a lot from it. It was a space I thought about actually moving into. So can you just give our listeners a bit of an overview of the landscape of this area? That is a very open-ended question. <laughs> Um, basically, uh, in my opinion, and what seems to be the definition of AppSec is any activity that you do to ensure that your software is secure. And so if you're an AppSec analyst, um, engineer, whatever you want to call it, whatever you put at the end of that, basically what you do is you work at a company or you're a consultant and you do all the things that you think are the most efficient and effective ways to make sure your software is secure. And so at a big company where you have 12 different people on your AppSec team, you would do Mm -hmm. totally different things than if you are are the entire AppSec team. So most places where I ended up working, I was the AppSec team. And quite often I was also like the phishing team and the this team and the that team, the instant response team, et cetera. And so then you, yeah. So then you end up doing different activities. And I am a big fan if you're going to launch an AppSec program of basically making sure you you automate and scan all the things that you possibly can. If you are allowed to put things in the pipeline, you put in, you know, really, really sure thing types of checks like add software composition analysis because it's almost always true positives. There's very few false positives and then scan for secrets. 
right? Mm-hmm. As, as opposed to if you're going to do in-depth testing and you're a consultant and you're brought mm-hmm. in, you might sit there for three straight weeks reviewing code on a giant app and mm-hmm. really, really getting every single last vulnerability that you possibly can using one or more um, static application security testing tools, mm-hmm. right? So there's all sorts of different jobs in that space. And if you're a consultant, you tend to have a lot of a different focus, more of like a laser short-term focus versus if you're an employee and you're there for the long run, you'll probably try to make big moves. And for instance, like I want to get every single project from now on to have these security requirements and do these specific checks from now on mm-hmm. and work, um, I guess, make bigger, broader moves as opposed to if you're a consultant, I, you come in and you're like, pew, 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 pew. And you do the absolute best job you can knowing you have to leave in X number of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because your time box on a project, then I guess you have to kind of do the best you can do. Mm-hmm. So can you, so can you talk to me a little bit more about like trends you're sort of noticing at the moment in regards to AppSec? Is there anything like sort of coming front of mind or popping up at the moment that you're sort of taking more notice of specifically? There are a few things. So one is that a bunch more people are interested in joining our field. And I'm really excited about that. I feel like it's in on people's minds more. I, I have a lot of software developers contact me and they say, you know, what things do I need to know? And quite frankly, I'm really, really excited and happy that it's software developers that are becoming interested as opposed to just the security people being excited about security. Like the people we really want are the operations people, the DevOps people, and the developers to be excited about security. So I'm really, really happy about that. And mm-hmm. I'm noticing a lot of new cool tools that are really, really innovative. Um, I don't want, so I advise on a bunch of startups. So obviously I can't tell you they're super secret ideas, but people are building the coolest stuff. Like looking mm-hmm. at this problem from a completely new, different way. There's already been a couple of new tools that have started to become more mainstream, like RASP. So instead of WAF, a web app firewall, now a lot of places are moving on to using second generation or runtime application security protection, which is a different way, or IAST as opposed to DAST, like interactive Mm -hmm. security Mm -hmm. testing. And I'm also noticing that a lot of companies that have... previously been very successful in AppSec, some some of them have taken their tools and made a second different tool that's really cool that is optimized for DevOps and optimized for pipelines. And they are having success with that. And then I have noticed some of them are changing absolutely nothing and telling people that it totally will work in a pipeline and then it breaks everything and the developers break up with the AppSec person that did that to them. <laughs> so, right. so I feel like uh, there's been a bunch of successes from some of the very well-known companies that have been doing AppSec for a long time. And then there's been some stumbles mm-hmm. and I'm hoping that more of them kind of like we have to sprint. If DevOps people are sprinting, we're sprinting. Mm-hmm. Right. And we can't. So I, I know I'm picking on static application security testing, but you know, if you want to do that on an entire huge, big app, that, that's mm-hmm. intense. That's an intense process. Do not put that in a pipeline. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Or just do one or two checks and only on code that just got checked in, et cetera. Right. But I see people where they're like, yeah, I turned on this and I know it's a high quality tool. It's really cool, but that mm-hmm. is not what it's for. And so I feel like, um, I feel like some of us still need to learn a bit about DevOps, but a bunch of companies are. And so, yeah, I I feel like with the new innovations coming and how some of the really well-established companies are starting to adjust for the new way that software is being created and maintained, and especially for cloud, Mm -hmm. I'm super super pumped. Plus, it's cool because I like new tools. (laughs) I I love playing with things and I love automation. And it's just so Mm -hmm. exciting to see the super cool new stuff that's coming out. 
So you you mentioned you started off with a bunch more people are joining this field. So do you think that perhaps people are a more aware of it because I think it's sort of people probably weren't necessarily as aware of these types of roles and jobs out there. But then also I think developers are sort of realizing like, hey, I've got to sort of take a bit of a change in my career and really upskill myself, or else sort of my original development skills might become atrophied. Is that sort of the change that you're sort of seeing in people moving towards this space? I would say yes. So software developers that are software developers essentially that have great pride in their work mm-hmm. and realize that if you want to have a high quality app, your app needs to be secure. And so there's mm-hmm. lots of those where they're like, I am a full stack dev and that mm-hmm. includes security. So mm-hmm. teach me the ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's those awesome humans. And then there's other people where they're like AppSec is in the news a lot. Um, unfortunately, again, we won number one reason for all of like number one reason for breaches for data breaches. So we've won 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and now 2019, uh, in the Verizon breach report, which totally sucks. Um, but what that means is it's it brings more visibility. People are paying more attention to it. And then that means more people are realizing that maybe it's a role for them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying really hard personally, well, professionally, personally, I don't know how to word it individually, to share that there's so much more than pen testing. Because when I joined, mm-hmm. I thought pen testing was the only job. Gotcha. Um, if, so I think in January, I released a blog post, which honestly... I didn't think that many people would be interested in, but I it was one of those ones where I'm like, I'm going to write this because I think it's important. And if no one else likes it, that's fine. And it was what the types of different jobs are in information security. Mm-hmm. It had 25,000 reads in under 24 hours. Whoa. Yeah. Usually, usually I have like under a thousand in the first 24 hours and mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And I released it on multiple platforms and the uh, like each platform was just like flaming on fire. That was just one platform. So people were like, I had, I knew that these things, but I didn't understand what it's like to do that job. I I knew I was interested and like, I've heard a little bit about this and they're just like, that's what that's called. That's what I want to be. Mm-hmm. How do I get there? And oh, good. Uh, yeah. So um, on, on my, I, I don't mean to only talk about my, my website, but I'm hoping to develop a course where people it can help people choose which one's right for them because it took me a while to figure out that mm-hmm. although I'm really good at incident response it turns out my personality type it's really hard for me to calm down after because I am the type of person <laughs> that gets very excited and so I mean it could take me like a week to calm down and so uh, apparently I'm good I'm very authoritative blah 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 but it's not really like something I should do on a regular basis even though I, I find it almost addictive. It's so exciting. <laughs> and so it, I've learned that if I do AppSec instead, I'm more like happy on a regular basis. I get lots of like little wins all the time. And I find it really, really satisfying mm-hmm. as a pen tester. I really wasn't very satisfied. It really, it almost like hurt to leave the software developers like high and dry sometimes because I'm like, my contract ran out. I'm not allowed helping you anymore. And <laughs> we all have different personalities, right? And so then different jobs really are better for us. And the idea that I can, so that's why I'm doing coaching now Mm -hmm. right so rather than someone I don't know I just I wasn't good at at letting go um, of of the relationship if that makes sense and Mm -hmm. so that means I was kind of sucky at pen testing like Mm -hmm. the consulting companies like stop writing them (laughs) like but they need help (laughs) yeah so if I could if I if like that blog post helps people figure out what they want to do uh then that's awesome and so I'm I'm hoping eventually to figure out like what you know, if there's free resources, I could link onto each one of the jobs mm-hmm. so that people mm-hmm. 
it's like, okay, so I'm really interested in forensics and forensics is, are, is super cool. So, you know, I have a list of cool people to follow, but I'm not an expert in forensics. Right. No. So, well, no one can be an expert. And it's such a broad scope mm-hmm. that what we deal with, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But if I could just point them in the right direction and give them some encouragement, I feel like for me, like, yeah, that's a good win. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's interesting because I've got a lot of people coming to me saying like, hey, I want to work in cybersecurity. I'm like, yeah, cool. What do you want to do? And it's kind of like crickets because I think they don't know what options are actually there because it is a really broad area, like where I started to what I did after that and then after that, because I was kind of like you trying to figure out what I liked, where I thought my strengths were as well. And that's when I sort of really started getting into the, the communication side of it between the technical and the business, because I felt that that's where I was going to thrive the best. So uh, I agree with you that people should try different things. And I think that people out there who are listening, perhaps don't know what they want to do. I think just try different things. And if you don't like mm-hmm. it, do something else. And if you don't know what you want to do, then perhaps uh, take a look at this course that Tanya's developing, uh, or, or sorry, you have developed to see what you like and see what's even out there. Because I think that's still the main question. People don't know that half of these roles and jobs are even out there at all. Yes. Yes. A few years ago, I saw this this man speak named Krim Nathu in Ottawa. And so I saw the same talk three times because sometimes it takes me a while to have things sink in. And he give, he gave the talk a bunch of times. So I'm like, I'm going to go. And we, well, he, he changes it, but basically he's a, a malware reverse engineer. Mm-hmm. And he explained how he reverse engineered a bunch of um, ransomware. And it turned out that not all ransomware actually encrypts things. A lot of it just XORs stuff. And it was so fascinating for him to talk about like figuring out what the code was, how to deobfuscate the code. And and I found like he's also a really good speaker and he's like funny and smart and all those things. He's super sarcastic, which I enjoy. But that said, I, you know, he he did all the things and I was like, that's really cool. That's not a job I want though, because I hate assembler. And it's so cool. He does that. It's so awesome. I can now talk about it and I can totally admire him even more than before because because uh, everyone in Ottawa knows each other. So I already knew him. But um, and I used to live in Ottawa. I don't live there anymore. But anyway, um, but like being able to go is, first of all, having the luxury to see the same person give a variation of the same talk three times is glorious, mm-hmm. right? Because you because if you are good at public speaking, you tend to give like a slightly different talk and tell different stories each time. And in question period, you get different questions. But just the strategy behind what he did and how he got to the final answer for me, that's the most fascinating thing in the world. And it helped me realize because I'm, I was like pondering over a potential position doing reverse engineering. And they're like, you know, you're really into coding and you love code. So maybe this would be a really good role for you. And I was just like, uh, no, it turns out that's not what I want when, but thank you for, and like, he helped me figure out that even though reverse engineering is super cool, but that's not the right job for me. <laughs> I think that's, again, that's really how it is. Cause I think a lot of these roles are really new out there. And I think there's not enough people publicly speaking about them, but what I'd like to ask you next is I know you've been running a startup just a few months now. So can you explain to our listeners, like what was the genesis for this, for this idea? How did this come around? So I had started a different startup, which exploded very quickly last year. And then I, I think that's when you and I started talking then, wasn't it? I think we yep. touched, we spoke, I don't know, like a couple of six months ago, I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, you were running the other startup. That's right now. Yes. Yes. And so when that exploded um, or, uh, or disintegrated, maybe is a better word. Uh, so my heart was a bit broken, <laughs> to be honest. Um, and so I kind of just 
felt burned out and decided I would take like a couple of weeks off and just figure out what I wanted to do next. And so I was tweeting about, you know, I'm not sure what my next thing is that I want to do. And just person after person after person after person said, please teach me AppSec. Like, that's what you should do. That should be your job. You're so good at it. I love hearing you speak. You're super funny. It's really clear that it makes you happy. Why don't you just do it? <laughs> and, um, and I just kept kind of thinking about it and thinking about it and all the different things that made me the happiest. And I met with lots of startups and I was, mm-hmm. I realized I was really, really, really excited about startups. And I also started um, just coaching some companies. They said, okay, so you have no income. Can we just like give you some money and you could just like, just like coach us while you're deciding what to do next. And I was like, oh, well, that's very nice of you. Yes, I would love that. And, you know, it's just like, just like calls once a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that that's a job. <laughs> that, that people are yeah that you like doing and that people are prepared to pay you for yes and also each coaching call that I do it turns out is a lesson that other people really wish they could have so for instance I met with someone a few days ago and they're going to implement a WAF a web app firewall and you know they're going to talk to the the sales rep and the sales rep is going to say the salesy things and they're like what do I really need to know and I went through like all of the things I would do to evaluate if you know, which product would be best for me and exactly how they should implement it at first and how much time they should spend on it versus other things. And I just went on and on. And after 45 minutes, the guy was like, oh my gosh, this is, you. thank you. And so I feel good because I've helped him. And then now I'm going to turn that into a lesson for the site because if he is in that position and having trouble figuring out, you know, what he needs to ask the vendor to make sure he gets the right things and also, you know, a strategy, because they'll just say like, implement it and turn it on and blocking and then it'll go very badly. Um, and and so we, we came up with the strategy and I also explained like the history and existence of like WAFs and where they came from and because I'm a nerd. And, um, and so then we went through all the things. He's like, okay, I know exactly what to do now. Thank you. And so then that's going to become a lesson that everyone can access all the things that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not his personal stuff, just to be clear or anything about his company, but what things might People need to know if they're going to do that. And then it can become a little lesson in my AppSec series of, okay, so if you're doing a WAF, then this, if you're doing a RASP, then that, how do you pick between the two? What What is the costing like? So even just knowing how much things cost is a thing that you can't find out without having to call a very sticky salesperson that will just not leave you alone. And, and it's nice to know, you know, that WAFs cost from this to this, or that, um, you know, like you end up needing, you know, this many people to run for instance, if you turn a WAF on to like the absolute, absolute most strict level, you'll need mm-hmm. several engineers to run it mm-hmm. because otherwise, and you're going to have to write custom rules. You're going to have to have experts running it. But if you just turn it on to level one, it'll block like 80% of the things that are coming at you, but it won't block advanced attacks and just the pros and cons and how to decide those things. Um, and so, yeah, it turned out, it turns out that I don't know. All of these things just make me happy. I <laughs> mean, um, all the people in my life were like, it turns out that like your ongoing relationships with different companies and helping them makes you feel good. And if that will pay your bills, then you should do that. And if taking that knowledge and then turning it into lessons and like essentially selling them at a very, very low cost, like it's, mm-hmm. it's seven bucks a month to join my website. Like it's not expensive. <laughs> um, that, that like, they're like, and if that makes you feel like you're really giving back to the community and then you can afford to make lots of free content still, they're like, maybe that's a job and it's the weirdest job ever, but who gives a shit if it's weird? So are you. <laughs> and, and so I was like, I'm just going to try it. It seems to be going okay. <laughs> so it kind of came around like organically. I mean, that's kind of how I randomly fell into what I was doing too. Uh, and I think that's the best way of starting a company because you find that there was a need there, right? People are like, oh, you should 
You should train us in AppSec. You should do this. You should train students and do all that type of stuff. But speaking of like training students, as you're aware of, there is there's so many of these training companies out there. There's so many trainers, people giving courses, lectures, blah, 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 blah. How, what's some a bit of advice you could give to someone, even if it's not just AppSec, but even security, broadly speaking, how could someone sort of go about saying, okay, I should definitely go to these guys to get some of my security training versus other companies out there who may not have the same level of knowledge. How would you go about sort of navigating that for someone? I usually ask for recommendations from mm-hmm. someone I trust. But there are so many threads constantly online about which certification people should get or if they need a certification. And basically, it's just people asking for everyone else for recommendations. And it's it's the same thing with training. Like People will write me and be like, you know, should I take this or that? And I don't know. I haven't taken all the training. <laughs> if, if I had enough money, maybe I would. <laughs> I really love learning new things. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely recommendations from other people that have taken it. And I would say that that is the best. Also, look at the look at the syllabus and see if the things on the syllabus are things you want to learn. Mm-hmm. Also, find out how long you will have access to the content. So everyone learns differently. I am the type of person where I want to read about it, listen to something about it, go physically play with the thing myself. For instance, I, you know, if there's, I took, uh, I took a blind SQL injection workshop mm-hmm. and he told us about it and then he showed us the code for it and then he made us go do it. And then he would tell us another thing, show us and then make us do it. And he, he was such a great teacher and he went, just like one, 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 one. And he just kept, and he was like, if you don't get it, he'll just walk around and continue explaining until he could get most of the people in the class to get it. Mm. And I, I found it really interesting how he would like reinforce it. And then later, of course, I went and I did all sorts of things. And then I read more about it. And then, cause I was a penetration tester. Then I was like, aha, I have this on lockdown now. Like I can test as to if something is blind SQL injection or if it's not and be able to explain it to a client, be able to explain it to a software developer, how to fix it. So I need to see things from multiple angles personally. Mm-hmm. And so I've been to conferences and I've done that, you know, two or three day training thing. And for me, it's like super fast and it's all, I, I need to go over the content like again and again to fully mm-hmm. absorb it, especially to be able to teach it to other people. Mm-hmm. So it depends on your learning style. So I think the first thing Correct. you want to do is figure out what your learning style is. Like I, I listen to books all the time. I'll jog and listen to books, which I know is totally weird. Um, but that works for me. And I can't sit down and, and read a textbook. It's just, mm-hmm. I've learned it's fully no. beyond my ability. Yeah, I know. I literally, I just, I don't know how to explain it. I'm so good at making myself do things. And I literally can, I'll be like, you get to have chocolate if you do this, Tanya. And I'll be like, no, maybe I don't like chocolate. (laughs) I just, I can't can't make myself sit down and do it. And so finding the way that you learn the best and then finding Mm. a school or trainer that will teach you that way. No, you're absolutely right. I always just found, I just learned on the job. Like people would say, this is how you do it. Now you do it. And that's how I personally learn mm. the quickest or just like figuring it out type of thing. Like, okay, well, let me just have a look and then I'll, I'll come back to you if I have any help. But let's, um, okay. So I really appreciate all those points that you gave. And if people are looking uh, to assess training businesses, I think Tanya's response there is incredibly valuable. So let's sort of talk about, let's go back into AppSec and sort of what is your opinion on where do you believe companies are sort of failing when it comes to application security? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So where are companies failing with application security? So 
Unfortunately, right now, finding an AppSec engineer and convincing them to come work for you is very difficult because there aren't enough of them to do all the jobs that require being done. So that is one problem. So companies are failing because they just can't hire someone or they can't afford to hire someone. Mm -hmm. Some companies are failing in that they don't think they need one. They think developers should just stop making crappy code. And that does not, it turns out that shaming people and being jerks to them does not help their job performance. And who knew? Um, well, so some, okay. Yeah. So some companies have a security team and then they're expecting the security team to just know AppSec, which, you know, if you are a network security person and you're an expert at that, I mean, you're, you're really smart by definition, or you wouldn't be good at it, but that doesn't mean that you magically know every other area of security. So some companies are just dumping that responsibility in the security team's lap and they don't have a resource for that. Some of them, it's the, it's a low priority. They think it'll happen to someone else. They don't understand the risks. Some of them, it's just a simple mistake. It's a thing that they missed or like I, I was talking to a company recently and he was telling me about the amazing, amazing systems that he has. Everyone has to go through this pipeline. They have this many things per pipeline. They have this, they have that, they're tracking. And I was telling him, I'm like, can I just tell you I'm jealous of you? Because I have never, ever got to work in an AppSec environment where I had that much power and authority. I would never be able to tell every single one, like, I'm going to do this type of task scanning and this type of SaaS. And if you don't pass these things, like you do not, you do not pass go, you do not collect $200. Right. Like I've never been able to deny someone to go to prod unless I can prove that they have this huge vulnerability. And usually I'm never given enough time to be able to do that. Like you're amazing. And he, he was laughing at me that I was jealous <laughs> or envious, whatever word is appropriate there. But mm -hmm. so some places, the, the AppSec team is just fighting this uphill battle and no one's really listening. And that sucks too. Mm -hmm. Or you have one AppSec person and 2000 mm -hmm. developers and they are doing their Whoa. absolute heroic best, but yes. they can't. Yeah. So why do, why do you believe they're failing though? Like, do you think that it's just naivety? So to give you an example, like you said earlier, oh, devs should just write secure code when that's not really what they've been taught. They're taught to develop things based on functionality, not necessarily securely, which is changing now. But do you think that's sort of why there is failures happening within these organizations? Absolutely. From what I understand, most universities teach almost no security. Correct. Um, I, I have even had people tell me that they got their PhD in cybersecurity. However, they like at, they're telling me after I gave a talk that they learned more in that hour than they learned in their PhD. Whoa! Um, like that's their words, not my words. Um, but it's that they're not learning real world stuff. That they're learning things that are 15 years old, mm. that, or that they're learning they're not learning um, industry standards because the academic people don't know. Like for instance, someone wrote me the other day and they're telling me about this really cool thing that they're doing with their professor. And I, I was like, so that's a vulnerability that you're going to release in your paper. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, have you properly disclosed it to the company and followed the 90 day thing? Do you have a CVE set up as a patch ready? And they're like, what are you talking about? They had no idea. Uh, and they're just going to, they're just going to release a zero day. Wow. And not yeah. give the company a heads up. Yeah. Okay. And so they're not uh, even teaching this stuff, I guess, in uh, well, university. It was the professor that was going to do it. Oh. oh. So then I, yeah. So then I was That's like, even so worse. I need the professor's phone number, please, because we have to have a discussion now. 
<laughs> and so me on the phone for two hours <laughs> and that's the professor doing that well right? which and, is then teaching people yeah. to do what he's doing which is not right yeah, yeah okay I, mm. I spoke at um I, I spoke at a university a few weeks ago and i gave a super intro lecture to appsec and so i was explaining to them so you've probably heard devsecops quite a quite a bit and so now that i've taught you what appsec is so uh DevSecOps is just AppSec adjusted for DevOps environment. So if they're sprinting, we have to sprint. If they're and they all just gave me these blank stares, and I'm like DevOps, and they all gave me these blank stares. I'm like, does anyone has anyone? And they had no idea. Wow. Okay. And this is fourth year computer science students hadn't heard of DevOps okay. yet. Wow. So, so then I said, okay, so let's back up. Have any of you heard of Agile? And three of them said that they'd heard about it during their co-op placements and everyone else didn't know. And I said, are they teaching you water fail? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they said, yes. Yeah, that's what they're being taught in school right now. And so if you're not making software correctly, Mm. like if you you look up the numbers, 70% of waterfall projects in software fail, not hardware, not construction, because those are physical and that's what waterfall was made for. Mm-hmm. Right. But waterfall was not made for, like it was originally made for software, but it turns out there's better ways to build software than that. And I, I'm shocked they're teaching that in school. And so when I asked them, you know, do you feel that you've learned enough about software security to confidently ensure you're making secure software? They all just, no, 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 no. So I invited no. them all to join our new OWASP chapter and, you know, our WOSEC women of security chapter and, you know, follow me online for lots of free content, et cetera. And I'm like, we've got you. Don't worry. Once you graduate, we're going to teach you all the things, but they're in school and they're learning to do things the wrong way. And Mm. there's no punishment for academia. They're allowed to give out diplomas and degrees that say computer scientist, software engineer, et cetera. And they're allowed to teach them the wrong way. Yeah, it happens over here in Australia too, having the same problem. But then the next question was, well, why would an industry practitioner necessarily want to go and teach because the pay is substantially less? So unless you really love it, a lot of people are like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving my great job here to potentially go and do that. You have to really, really love it. And so that's the gap that we're sort of seeing here because people just aren't prepared to do it or they're sort of doing it on a casual basis or they're only sort of lecturing in their area of expertise, which might be AppSec, for example. If you don't have a PhD, the universities in Canada won't hire you at university teacher rates. They hire you as something called an adjunct professor. And that pays less than minimum wage if you average it out. Wow. So why would anyone do it, right? I can charge more than that, but they pay for the whole semester per day to do in-person enterprise training. I charge more than that per day. And like when the guy, so I... I had, you know, the college and universities approach me. And when I told them that he just put his head in his hands, he's like, what do I do? I'm like, well, I'm writing a textbook uh, and I'm going to release it in the fall. And if you want to adopt it into a course, that would make my day. Right. But I don't have time to adopt and make a full course for you. And I don't have time to come teach it for you, but I'm going to make the the textbook available soon. And it's a Tanya style textbook. So there's casual language and there's analogies and there's jokes because I'm a nerd and, and there's like community things and other stuff in it, but it's, it's going to be all the core of AppSec. And the reason is, is because they apparently don't have a book to teach from. So it has exercises and everything. I'm like, please take it and go teach it. And he's like, but that's not till that won't be ready till next year. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm doing the best I can. What do you want from me? Like, yeah, I know, but that's the same sort of problem that's happening here. And it's kind of like, there's no real incentive to people to want to do that because they're like, well, 
you're not going to pay me the rates or mm. I can only sort of come on a sort of a, I don't know, a basis that doesn't work for them or they have to do after hours and I'm prepared to do that because I've got a family and all, all these things. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting, interesting to see how that sort of evolves over time. But yeah. let's, um, okay, so let's talk about DevSecOps and let's sort of understand a little bit about what's inside your mind on your approach to integrating <laughs> application security into a company CICD pipeline. Okay. So DevOps is more than just pipelines. <laughs> and I talk about this a lot, but let's definitely talk about CICD. So mm-hmm. for your viewers or mm-hmm. listeners who might not know, so CICD stands for continuous integration. Mm-hmm. And what that means is basically checking your code in really regularly and integrating it with everyone else's code and all the other systems to make sure it works. Sometimes it's called trunk-based development. But the idea is, is when we used to do waterfall, we would wait forever, like up to Mm -hmm. a year, and then we would try to integrate and there'd Mm. be a million changes and it would not go well. And so instead it's like, well, what if we check it in every day or even a few times a day and we're constantly making sure that we're all on the right track and constantly getting feedback. So that's continuous integration. Then continuous delivery is using a pipeline, an automated software tool to make sure that it's integrating. And then you add testing and all these other things to make sure that it's actually integrating properly. Mm -hmm. And then CD also sometimes stands for continuous deployment, which means, so you've done CI, you've done CD, you've done all these tests, you feel so confident in your automated system that you are willing to allow it to actually release to prod with no like no manual intervention whatsoever. You have so much trust in your system, you're doing so much testing that it can go to prod now. And you don't need a person waiting to approve anything. There's no, anyone needs final approval, no no change management meetings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the other thing that CD stands for. And so when you're adding security, you add security checks. So Mm -hmm. some of the things you can do are, so before it even gets to the pipeline, add unit tests. So everyone should be adding positive unit tests, which means testing that the code, the little tiny piece of code that you just wrote does the thing that you were told it needs to do. Mm-hmm. So from a security standpoint, what you want to do is create abuse cases or negative unit tests. So let's say you're taking input uh, from a search field and the user presses you know, the search button and then you go and search for it. So you make sure that it actually goes and searches. That's your positive test case. So your negative test case is like, well, I'm going to add in a bunch of payloads that look like cross-site scripting. Is it going to fail gracefully? Okay, I'm going to add in, you know, 3,000 characters when it's only supposed to accept this. Does it fail gracefully? Mm -hmm. And you add all these negative unit tests. And then every time the developer checks in or before they even can check in, they have to run all the unit tests. And if the unit tests fail, then you just cause security bug. It's pretty sweet. And so you get regressive security testing every single time. So every time, you know, let's say you have a penetration tester come in or someone finds some sort of vulnerability, you add unit tests for that. Mm -hmm. And so you're testing at like this very small level. It's pretty cool. Um, One of the companies I coach just told me a few days ago that they managed to get that into everything. He's like, oh, my gosh, we found so much stuff. It was really cool. Um, So. And then you get into the pipeline and then you do checks in there as well, like scanning for secrets, making sure that you're using a secret store. So a secret store is where you keep your secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds it sounds really out. You store your secrets in the secret store. Um, there's a lot of products that have names for it, but that's what it's called. And all the cloud providers have their own, but you can bring a third party one. And essentially, you know, you put so 
it, computers talk to secret stores. Human beings don't talk to secret stores. Mm-hmm. And so your CI/CD pipeline can go in, go get the connection string from the super safe place, go open the database with it, and no human ever had that password. And so there's no chance for that password to be stolen. Mm-hmm. And it's so, so, so much more secure than you putting anything in your code and trying to manually figure out the way to store your secrets. You can have them automatically rotate your certificates. It's just such a beautiful thing when you don't have to go in and do anything personally. And what what this means is you know that an insider threat wouldn't be able to get into your production database because they just can't get in because the secret store is like, sorry, you're not a computer. The answer is no. Do you also think in your experience that... This, I guess this is sort of the new wave of how people uh, are trying to do software development, right? So do you think that it'll improve the relationship between devs and security? And I ask that because I've been on to the security side of it where you get a project that's probably run for 12 months, like you said, we pen test it, and then there's all these vulnerabilities. And then you're in a meeting trying to explain what these mean, the risks of the business, and you've got 50 people in a meeting, and then it starts to get really heated very quickly because people have spent their, you know, 12 months working on this project to be told like, yeah, we can't go live. And a lot of these people with their contract is a sort of KPI against their go live dates. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, sitting in those meetings, like it was a lot of pressure because I think people kind of just hated us because we kind of felt like, oh, well, they can't make our project go live. So do you think by companies sort of migrating to doing, I guess, that's the new way of software development. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. Do you think it will reduce a lot of that sort of uh, that adversity between software development teams and security teams? Yes, that is part of why I didn't like being a penetration tester. I hated mm-hmm. telling someone that their baby was ugly right before they were about to take it out to show all the neighbors. <laughs> and yes, coming in last minute. Yes. And the first person that looked at security, this is sort of my big thing. I call it pushing left or shifting left the idea of starting security earlier. So when mm-hmm. I got to do application security, even if I was consulting, I could come in early. Like, okay, so I've scanned all your infrastructure and found all these problems. Please, please patch them. You know, this version of this framework that you're using isn't acceptable. I need you to upgrade to this. And, you know, I've, I've threat modeled your design. I found this one big flaw and I need us to work on it. And for this, I need you to follow these practices when you're programming it, et cetera. And I'm like, I'm going to come back in like three months and then I'm going to, I'm going to pen test you. I'm going to punch your app in the face. And <laughs> if you do all the things I said, it's not going to hurt that much. Okay. And so then mm. I'd come back and I'd only find like lows and mediums mm. and so feel really cool and look good in front of the C-level executives. Mm. And they'd be super happy with me because I'm like, Oh, your baby's kind of good looking. <laughs> right. But yeah. meanwhile, we'd actually done all this upfront work and they'd had so much more time to fix the things. And so there was no emergency thing to put mm. in last minute they went to prod i remember the chief information officer saying to them like wow you guys did such a good job and they like look over and wink at me right because like to them they felt like yeah well they felt like almost like they're cheating right like getting the answer before the test but it's like no every single person wins here Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. like us threat modeling that app and finding that really big flaw then they had lots of time to fix it Mm, Uh, i agree so do you, so just in my experience as well, what I also felt, so like you said that, you know, your baby's ugly and then it gets all awkward. Uh, <laughs> what I experienced was that it put a lot of pressure then on the application security team that we had in-house because then all of a sudden they've got to sort of figure out specifically like what the actual issue was. And I just remember like talking to this other dude, he's like, I'm going to be here for days, KB. Like I've got like 50 million rows of code I need to look through to find out exactly what is going on here. And I think it's kind of an inefficient way of working because then we could have captured this in the beginning and then fixed it. 
Yes. And so I felt with <laughs> those guys, right? Because they were just there for days and days looking at the same stuff, the same everything. And they just said, I'm just really done with this. There's also a lot and a lot of pressure if you're an AppSec employee rather yes. than a consultant to suppress your results. Mm-hmm. There's, I, I hate to say it. And I know that like, we're not supposed to talk about it, but a lot of places like your manager comes up to you, you're like that high is a medium and that medium's a low now. And you knock those two other mediums off this report before you send it. And you're like, but that's not, they're like, you do it now. And what do you do? That happens. I've had a lot of, I've had a lot of people tell me that they have things like that happen. And, um, and then people quite often look for new jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never had a boss like that. I'm really thankful. I have had the developers tell me they want me to do that, but if I have a boss that stands behind me, then it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I'm not going to dumb down my report. This is the truth. Mm-hmm. And these are the things I found, but it, but there can be some serious internal pressure on things like that. And that's mm-hmm. why, for instance, for PCI testing, you have to have an external tester come mm-hmm. so that that can't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, I've had a lot of, a lot of internal pen testers and AppSec people tell me that, you know, this is happening. Like, I think it's time to look for a new job. Like, oh no. Yeah, I've definitely, I've seen it. I've been in that space where I was kind of this consultant delivering, like I was the one that had to deliver, hey, your baby's ugly. I was that person. And then I felt the hit of everyone coming to me because I had to deliver the news because I was probably the best person to deliver the bad news because I softened the blow a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I understand and, I, and I've been on the front line of trying to give that information to people and, and seeing the other people like really, really struggling and having that internal pressure and everyone's on their back about things and how long is it going to take to do that secure code review? And I've, I've been there and I've experienced it. So I, I, uh, I really empathize with these people, but I'd like to finish off our podcast with mm-hmm. understanding from your point of view, what advice could you provide to executives who are perhaps looking to invest a little bit more in this space? Ooh, so exciting. Um, okay. So things that I would like to say to C-level executives, your developers are really smart. Otherwise they'd be your ex-developers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you enable them, they can make secure apps for you. So if you can give them training, if you can create a security champions program, Mm -hmm. right? So if you can hire an AppSec team or one person that has great social skills and have them, have them train your developers. If you need to bring someone in, that's cool. If you need to buy them books, that's cool. Like I, I quite often tell everyone, go read the Phoenix project, then read the DevOps handbook, you know, and then come talk to me (laughs) because we're going to talk about, you know, how we can add security to all these things and how, you know, there are great ideas in those books. We can do more stuff. And so if you give them resources and also they need you standing behind them, they need to know that you will listen if a real serious thing happens, right? So having Mm -hmm. a seat at the table for security is so important. If you have the security executive report to other areas, it's, it's not going to work. Like your chief information officer needs to have a C in their, their title. They need to be able to have the authority. Like you can't make someone responsible for all the security, but then not give them the authority to fix the problems Mm -hmm. because that's called a scapegoat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so don't make scapegoats, give them the power to actually make your organization better and check in with them. And also don't ask them to turn off web filtering for you because it's annoying when you can't get to sites you want to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you are the number one target. Definitely also accept security training if the security team offers it to you. Because if you have a C and your title, you are the absolute biggest target. And yeah, so help us help you protect yourself. 
I think that was really valid. So I would like to personally thank you for your time. This was a really great interview. I think that we went into deep topics there. We went on a little tangent, so I really appreciate that. <laughs> so Tanya, if people are looking to perhaps ask you a question that, that I didn't ask you today, how can they go about reaching out to you if they're interested to learn more? So I am called She Hacks Purple on basically every platform. So on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter. I'm a avid Twitter user, so you can message me on there. My direct messages are open. Also, come visit my website, sheaxpurple.dev. There's a place where you can chat with me and ask questions if you have them. I actually have a whole bunch of free downloads and a whole bunch of content is free, so you don't have to pay to visit it. For instance, I just released a server-side request forgery, like defenses and mitigations, one pager, because I want people to defend and then mitigate against it because it's scary. Yeah, please come say hi. I'm there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tanya. I really appreciate the time that you've uh, provided to our listeners today. And I'm assuming that they would have got a lot of knowledge just as much as I have today. So I thank you so much again. Thank you so much for having me. This has been super fantastic. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.